Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, there's a passage of scripture um, that I wanted to share, especially as we approach what we call Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, uh, which is all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, there's a passage of scripture I wanted to share with you. It's in Romans, uh, and it highlights the love of Jesus Christ, which is what the resurrection is all about. Now, Paul wrote this to a group of people who were in a community, and they were trying to figure out how do we live out this Christian-like life, like most of us are trying to figure out. And some of you are probably familiar with this verse, and it's probably something that you hear at funerals or you see lots of memes about it. And it's from Romans chapter 8, verse 38 to 39. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what he wrote this to them was because he started out that passage of scripture telling them that there's no condemnation in them. Because they were like, hey, we're, we're this secular group of people, we do all these things. He's like, no, you're not condemned if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And then he starts talking to them about how they can live out this life, and he ends with this passage that pretty much Paul is telling them, I am convinced that death nor life can separate you from God's love, right? If, you're, if you've stepped across that line of faith and you've received the love of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if you die. It doesn't matter if you're still living. He says, neither angels nor demons, there is no spiritual force that can separate you from God's love. He says, neither the present nor the future, nothing that you've done now, no matter how good or bad or whatever, can stop God from loving you. Nothing that you'll do in the future can stop God from loving you. And where he says any powers, he's talking about political powers. There's no political power, political party. There's no government. There's nothing. It doesn't matter how high you go or how low you fall. He says, there is nothing in all of creation that can separate you from God's love. And then he says why. Because the love that God has for us is signed, sealed, and delivered by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It cannot be taken back. It can't be removed. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter how much you mess up in the future. There is nothing in this universe that can stop God from loving you. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we're going to uh, sing this new song. Uh, normally, what we do on Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday morning, is we have a sunrise service. Uh, sunrise this year is at 6.51 a.m. Uh, so before we do that, because I don't want to say, hey, we're going to have a sunrise service, and the only people here are me and Brandon. Uh, so is anyone else interested in a sunrise service? There'll be a couple people here. Let me yes. add this. Okay, a couple people. Let me add this, because typically we have breakfast right after. So anyone interested in sunrise service with breakfast after? Okay, a couple people. Okay, so we will be having uh, sunrise service, 6.51 a.m., breakfast to follow. 
uh, bring some kind of, you know, whatever breakfast dish you would like to bring to share. Bacon is bacon, always appreciated. Sausage, always appreciated. Ice cream, welcome. <laughs> Homemade smoked ice cream, can't turn that down. Um, yeah, but also uh, when we do that, typically because we have the sunrise service so early, we move our Sunday celebration back a little bit. So instead of 1037, on Easter morning, uh, we'll have our Resurrection Sunday worship celebration at 11.07 a.m. We'll still end about the same time. Uh, we'll just push it back a little bit because some of us will be in a food coma from breakfast, and we might need to take a little bit of a nap. That being said, we also have, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, uh, but in October, when we were teaching through uh, the book of Daniel, we did a God, government, and Bible Q&A session where you guys asked questions. We solicited questions from people online, uh, and we just answered your questions. It wasn't me preaching a sermon. It was just answering questions, and we took questions from you guys in the room. Uh, we did that in October. Uh, we're going to do that again, but it's going to be about the gospel and the resurrection the Sunday after Easter, because what more appropriate time uh, we'll be finished with the Gospel of Mark, which we're walking through now, uh, and it won't be limited to the Gospel of Mark. Any questions about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, if you happen to throw in other questions about the Bible, we'll try to answer that as well. But focuses on any questions people have about the Gospel, the resurrection, uh, and we just want to make sure that we're answering those questions appropriately, because believe it or not, and I'm not judging anyone, not trying to whatever, there's still a whole bunch of people who say that, ah, well, the resurrection never happened, right? And those aren't just people who don't believe in Jesus. Those are some of the people who claim to be followers of Jesus. They just think it was a great story, an analogy, rather than an historical event that actually happened and changed, you know, life as we know it. All right, as you are making your way back to your seats and getting situated, uh, we're going to jump right into our discussion this morning. Uh, I'm going to put a lot of verses up on the screen, and as we said uh, last week, in the, as we continue through the book of Mark, we're going to look at how Jesus continues to equip his disciples for his death, burial, and his resurrection, uh, but also, as he's teaching, he prepares humanity for his death, burial, and resurrection. The things that he communicates are not just there for his disciples. He's also communicating for the crowds at large and for those of us who are reading these words um, well after the fact. Uh, so if you want to follow along, open a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to jump through probably both chapters 11 and 12, uh, God willing, this morning and time permitting. But here's the thing. While you're turning there, let me ask a quick question because I want to make sure everyone's okay with this. I just want to make sure everyone's okay with the fact that we kind of spend so much time going through so much scripture. Is everyone kind of okay with that? Yay or nay? Okay. Yeah, because, and, and here, here's the thing, um, a lot of, and I'm not, not, not a comparison thing, but a lot of congregations, they don't spend as much time going through the word of God each morning as we do. We spend a lot of time in the scripture, and here's why, because I don't, I I don't want you guys to walk away thinking, this is my opinion, right? Because my opinion does not matter, right? What, what I, th I mean, it matters to me, but probably not to you. And when you're looking at this stuff later and trying to figure out how do we live out the word of God, I don't want you to think, well, 
this is what Pastor Floyd says because that doesn't matter. It should be, here's what the Word of God says, right? I had a conversation with a guy we do our, when we do our Wednesday night prayer. After I'm done with the Wednesday night prayer, I do a live stream uh, on TikTok. Don't hate me for being on TikTok, but on TikTok where I just answer questions about Christianity, right? So as soon as I started the live stream, I was like, hey, uh, here's who I am. Thank you guys for joining and this guy jumps right up with this question, and I get it from time to time, and he says, what are your thoughts on homosexuality? And sometimes those questions are from people who just want to come at you and hate you. Sometimes they're questions from people really trying to seek the truth. And every single time, my answer is the same. I was like, hey, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm not trying to avoid your question, but you really should not give a flip about what I think. What you should want to know is what does God say about it? Because that's what's important. God's never going to look at anyone's life and said, did you live your life according to Floyd? Never. Never going to happen. It would be so cool if he did. Never going to happen. What he's going to look at is did you live your life according to his word? So what I told him was, hey, it doesn't matter what I think. You should be concerned with what God says. And here's the most important question. Whatever he says, are you willing to accept it, even if it disagrees with what you think or what you believe? That's what you should be concerned with. So we spend a lot of time in the scripture because I want to make sure you guys understand, one, that this isn't just my opinion. This is what the word of God says. But two, I want you to see I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not just coming up with stuff on the fly, right? So uh, turn to Mark chapter 11, and we're going to start with verse 1. Mark chapter 11, it says, they, as they, and this is uh, Jesus and the disciples, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Now, this, this was um, culturally significant, but it was also prophetically significant. The prophetic part, good for them, powerful for us. It was culturally significant because in that culture, right, if anyone uh, who was coming in as a king rode in on a horse, it meant they came to conquer the land, right? You should be in fear because you may not survive the day we're taking over. But if they rode in on a donkey, it meant, yeah, I'm coming to conquer, but I come in peace. I'm not coming and you won't survive today. I'm coming so that you can be a part of my kingdom. And I know that doesn't have a lot of significance to us today because we don't have those kind of things going on in our culture. But um, has anyone worked in an office environment before? Worked in an office? Okay. And I did for many years in the government and in uh, uh, the telecommunications field. And whenever we had like an office environment, there were these times when they would call everyone into the conference room, right? If they called everyone into the conference room and we show up and there's food and there's snacks and there's all this kind of stuff, we know, okay, this is, this is probably a good thing. It may be bad in that they're going to ask us to do more work. It may be good in that, hey, they're thanking us for doing the work we did. No problem, though. But if we walked into the conference room and there was no food, there was just executives and a couple of folks from HR, 
it was a sign that not everybody was going to make it through the day. Some folks were getting fired or laid off. Some folks were going home. And then if you look through and behind the executives in HR, you see security by the door, definitely a bad day, right? So just like that was a sign for some folks, this was a sign. If someone rode in on a horse proclaiming to be king, it meant, hey, I'm here to conquer. Some of you may not survive. I don't care about you. I'm just taking this land for me. But if they rode in on a donkey, it meant, hey, I'm coming in peace to add you to my kingdom. So that was that cultural significance. It also had prophetic significance, right? Because hundreds of years prior, and uh, earlier last year, we went through the book of Zechariah. This is what it says, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Now, when it says lowly, it means humbly. So, so this was a, a, a prophetic, a, a prophecy saying that, hey, once the king comes back and the kingdom will be restored, that the people of Jerusalem would rejoice and they would shout. And now some people who are critics of the Bible say, well, this isn't really Jesus fulfilling the prophecy. Because Jesus knew this prophecy, it was in his history, so he probably said, hey, just somebody go get, a, go get a donkey so I can ride in, and that way I can say, yay, I fulfilled this prophecy. But that's not really the case, because even though Jesus could send them to get a donkey, he couldn't make the people rejoice the way that they did, right? So this is what happened. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, others spread branches they had cut in the fields, and those who went ahead, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That word Hosanna means save us. It's not something we shall yell today, so we're probably not significant with it. But if people back then look at some of the things that we cheer today, like if they were to hear people like yelling hip, hip, hooray, it would mean nothing to them. In the same way, this was a phrase that they yelled. It means save us, but it was also a praise and an acclamation. And Jesus couldn't make them yell this, which is why the, we know this prophecy was fulfilled. They said, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. So they acknowledged and rejoiced and shouted because they acknowledged, hey, the kingdom of Israel is going to be restored because Jesus is coming in as king, right? So this is another prophecy being fulfilled, Jesus preparing them uh, for what's going to happen uh, as he goes towards his death, burial, and resurrection. But here's the problem. When you come into somewhere proclaiming you're a king, there are going to be people that are opposed to it. There are going to be haters. There are going to be people that question you and criticize you. So when they arrived in Jerusalem, while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. Now, this is, this is, these are the religious leaders, the, the, the religious heads. The chief priests would have been the high priest at that time. The previous high priests all gathered together. The teachers of the law were not teachers like Jesus was. When the word for teacher is used for Jesus, it's a word that means doctrinal teacher. This word is the word grammatusi. It's where we get the word grammar and also the phrase grammar Nazi. Nazi wasn't, didn't exist back then, but this is what these were. These were the people who looked to make sure when the Bible was 
uh, translated or the scrolls were translated or they were copied that every single word matched, the grammar was correct, and that everything matched up. So they didn't know the law. They just wrote the law, and they knew the words in it, but they didn't know the reason behind it. And the elders were the religious folks uh, in charge at that time. They came up to Jesus, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things? They asked, and who gave you the authority to do this? I love the question, because it's a valid question, but I love the answer from Jesus, because his answer shows that they weren't really looking for truth. Some people, um, uh, you guys know Mark Berkshire, and if you don't, he's another pastor, one of my good friends, best friends, and we do a podcast together. On the last episode of the podcast, we were talking about salvation and what salvation means, right? And he was commenting that um, even though today, you know, if you, if you look and talk to people, they say, yeah, not as many people coming into the Sunday celebrations today as there used to be. And Mark made the comment that, even when there used to be, when they were filled to the brim, not everyone sitting in the seats was looking for truth. Some people were just coming because they were just, this is what I was told to do. My grandmother used to bring me, uh, then my mom brought me, and now I just keep showing up. But I really don't, I mean, they sit, they don't pay attention, they sleep, that's okay, a lot of people sleep. I slept in church. If you were asleep, I'm not going to wake you up. I'm just going to keep going on. But this is, this is what people do. They're not looking for spiritual truth. And here's, here's what Jesus says. I love his answer. Because they say, what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do this? And he replied, I'm going to ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, John the Baptist, who used to go and baptize all these people, was it from heaven? Or was it from hu of human origin? Tell me. And here's what they, they started discussing it among themselves. And they said, if we say it's from heaven, like if we say John the Baptist, he, he preached the word of God. He came and he baptized people and it was God ordained. This is what God wanted him to do. Then Jesus is going to say, why didn't you believe him? Because they didn't. They didn't accept what John was preaching. But then they said, if we say if it's of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And again, the reason that Jesus said, I'm not going to tell you why I'm doing these things is because they weren't interested in truth. So then Jesus tells them this. He tells them this parable about the consequences for ignoring truth and for rejecting God. And uh, he says, he began to speak about them in parables. And uh, we said parables were not riddles, right? They're, they're the things that pastors do, people do all the time. Here's this truth that you're trying to explain. And then here's this common thing that everyone understands that you related to so that people would understand this truth. And he says, a man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and he moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect for them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now, the idea is that, hey, uh, God, who this is supposed to be about, is saying, hey, I'm going to make you guys the tenants, but when, I, when the time has come, I need you to give me what is rightfully mine, right? Don't hold back. Don't try to cheat me. You're supposed to be good stewards of the resources that I am freely giving to you, but when the time comes, I need you to give me what's rightfully mine. 
And so Jesus summarizes it, and he says, hey, there was a guy who, you know, he sent the prophets, he sent this, he sent this person, and instead of giving him what was his, they just beat them and killed them and, and like, ran them out. And then Jesus says this, he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. So in this parable, where Jesus is showing them spiritual truth, he's saying, yeah, God is that master. I am the son of God whom he loves. He sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. But the tenant said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. The inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Now, how many of you guys remember that show? Um, put it up here. What would you do with what's his name? John Keelingus, where he shows these examples and there's cameras running and there's people in this certain situation. This is the picture that Jesus is painting for them. Because think about it, especially those of you who are parents, if you have this resource and you give it to people freely and you just say, hey, all yours to use, but just when I come for the portion that's due me, make sure I get my part. But when you send someone to get it, they beat them, they kill them, and then you send your only child because you're like, they will respect my son but they kill him, what would you do? Most of us would react in the same way because Jesus says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, they later are going to say this is a parable about them. It's not. It's a parable about the kingdom of God because, again, Jesus is preparing them and preparing humanity for what he's about to do. And the people of Israel were God's chosen people. He gave them a resource and said, hey, you're going to be my voice to the world to show the world what it's like to be in a relationship with God. And they botched it. And so he sent prophet after prophet. That's why the Bible is so long, because he kept sending people to say, hey, you guys got to get it right. You guys got to get it right. And when you read through the prophets, sometimes it's very like, like dark and gloomy, because it's God saying, hey, if you don't get this right, here are the consequences. If you don't get this right, here are the consequences. Every parent in the room is like, yes, tell my child over and over, if you don't get this right, there will be consequences. And then finally, God says, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm just going to send my son, and we're going to take on the responsibility of paying the consequences all on our own, right? So he said, haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And this is literally, this is literally, I keep using that word literally. This is literally, he said, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken a parable against them. And again, it wasn't specifically them. It was the nation of Israel. But this is God saying that, hey, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, instead of, hey, you're, you're, you're born into the kingdom of God through the nation of Israel, what God was saying is any person on the planet, who wants to be a part of the family of God, all they have to do is put their faith in the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross. The whole reason that he came, the whole reason that he died was so that now the kingdom is open to everyone. The love of God that we were talking about earlier is open to everyone. It doesn't matter, like that conversation I had with that person who said, hey, what do you think about sexuality? I'm like, here's God's thoughts on it. And his, 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 his 
I don't know if his intent was to, you know, find out the truth or what he was dealing with, but the reality is, here's what God says. Anyone who wants to come into his kingdom, it's open to anyone. Granted, God looks and says, just like every parent, when you come into my house, Christy just shampooed the carpets, and I walked in and, you know, did that double thing. I was like, I got to take my shoes off. Some people have rules about taking their shoes off. Some people have rules about this is what you do when you come to my house. God has rules about his house, but his house is open to anyone who wants to be a part because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I'm going to do this last one because then not only did the, the chief priests and the elders and all those come to him, the Sadducees came to him of that party. It is the Amplified Version who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question. Now, here's the thing. The Pharisees were this group of people who had this liberal way of reading and understanding God's word. They looked at everything that God said in his word, and they looked at this and said, well, this is kind of too difficult. We're going to make a tradition that says do this. This seems a little bit harsh. We'll make a tradition that says this. This seems a little bit difficult. We'll make a tradition that says this. They were very liberal. They just changed the word of God to do whatever they wanted, and they asked the people, if you really want to follow God's word, don't worry about what's in the book. Follow these traditions that we came up with. That's the Pharisees. The Sadducees were over here on the other end of the spectrum. They were very legalistic. They were like, this is what it says. This is what you do. You don't change it. It's, it's exactly what it says. If you don't follow that, shame on you. You can't be a part of our family. Right? And so they were people who also said they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they came to Jesus with this question about the resurrection as Jesus is preparing to go uh, to die and be buried and resurrected for all humanity. And they asked him a question. Here's what they said. They gave him this scenario where they said, there's this woman, and, and she was married, but then her husband died. So she married again, and that husband died. Married again, that husband died. Married again, and that husband died. Someone should have investigated this woman. That's a whole different conversation. But he says, now in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? For there were seven people married to her. So this wasn't a question like we're seeking information. This was them saying, hey, Jesus, how does the resurrection work? Here's this woman. She had seven husbands. Whose wife is she going to be? How is she going to live in eternity if there is such a thing as eternity with seven different husbands? Can you explain that to us, Jesus? Right? And I love Jesus' answer because here's what he says. He said to them, is not this where you wander out of the way and go wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In plain English, Jesus said, you don't read your Bibles. The reason you're asking this question is because you don't know what the Bible says. And you can look online today, and there are probably, I don't know how many different polls and studies and memes that says somewhere around less than 60, maybe 65%, of people who call themselves Christians actually read the Bible. And yet this is God's revelation that says, here's everything you need to know about me and how much I love you and why I sent my son to die for you. So he said, uh, it, it's you don't know the scriptures, you don't know the power of God, for when they rise from among the dead, so here's the thing, they will rise. 
So this is Jesus saying people will rise from the dead. When they arise from among the dead, men do not marry, nor are women given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. This has again led to some false teachings that people become angels. That's not true. The only angels are the ones God created and your baby up until they're about three months, and then after that, they're just children. But here's what he's saying. There is a love of God that we are not able to comprehend. If you think, if you're married, how many people mar married in the room? Raise your hand. If you love your spouse now, and all of you should say amen, right? You love your spouse now, that love will pale in comparison to the love you will both have when you are standing in the presence of God. It will transcend every romantic, sexual, emotional love you could ever imagine. If you love your parents now, and all of us children will say, yeah, we do, that will pale in comparison to the love you will have for them when you're standing in the presence of God. If you love your children now, and all of us do, we will have a love for them that we cannot even grasp or understand when we're standing with them in the presence of God. Now, there's a part of me that hopes that, you know, pets are in heaven too, because I love my pet, and I, I want to experience the whole new level of just loving my pet, my dog, Crypto, uh, when we're in heaven, and who knows if that's possible. Um, for those of you with cats, it is not. They will not be there. That's just not going to happen. But there will be a whole new level of love that we will experience that minds cannot comprehend. It won't be about who are you married to. It will be about such a level of love that we don't have words to describe it now. Not just the love that God has for us and we have for him, but the love that we will have for one another, a love that won't be changed or shaped by gender or race or age or, 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 or any of these human things that we use to define love. That's the type of love that we will experience, right? Then he goes on and he says this, but concerning the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And the reason he says this is because he says he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And we talked about how when uh, Jesus was transformed on the mountain, how Moses and Elijah appeared, that is the power of God. Not that he brought them back from the dead, but that they are already existing in an eternal place with God, which is where we will all go into this eternal place to experience God's love, God's goodness, and God's grace. And here's the key. Sometimes we have to be okay. We're not supposed to argue. We're not supposed to fight. We're not supposed to yell and scream and do all that, but sometimes we have to be okay with telling people, no, you're wrong. That is not what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what's in the Word of God. There's a lot of erroneous stuff out there, and people seem to think if it comes out of a pastor's mouth, it must be true, which is not the case, which is why we have the Word of God. As the band comes up, I'm going to share this last thing, and then we're going to close in prayer. This whole time that Jesus is, is, is preaching and teaching, granted, they didn't know it, but Jesus did, that it wasn't just for them, the people who were there. It wasn't just for the haters, the people who hated him. It wasn't just for uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the elders and the chief priests and all the people who criticized him. He was also teaching 
so that Mark could write this down for us. So that those of us today who are reading these words know that there is a love that God has in store for us that will transcend anything that we have ever experienced. And it's not a love that's caused by just because we walk into this building. It's not a love just because we ascribe to a particular denomination. It's not a love just because a pastor says it's there. It's the love that God wanted us to experience. So much so that he sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that there is absolutely, positively nothing that will keep us from experiencing his love. That love is available to anybody at any time, and all they have to do is say, you know what? God, I want a part of that love. Uh, when I was talking with Mark, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. When I was talking with Mark about the podcast, uh, we were talking about this, this, this woman who reached out to me uh, on one of the videos and said, here's what I'm going through. And I said, hey, you know what? Uh, my friend Mark is preaching through that right now. Why don't you go check out his videos? Uh, she connected with him and his wife, and she decided, you know what? I want to commit my life to Jesus. How do I do that? And Mark said, I, you may have been told differently, but there's not a prayer you have to pray. You may have been told differently, but it's not that I say something and you follow. When you commit your life to Jesus, it's just you speaking out, God, I want to experience your love. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, God. We thank you that you sent your son to die for us, that you made a way for us to experience your love. And we are so grateful that as your word said, there is absolutely, positively nothing in all creation that can stop us from experiencing your love. It doesn't matter how low we've been. It doesn't matter what things we've done. All that matters is that we're willing to come to you and accept what you did on the cross so that we might experience your love, so that we might be a part of your family, and so that we might get to spend eternity with you in heaven. And we thank you for that. And we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you, and God bless.